Welcome to the 4A Music Podcast. I'm Charlie. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Amy. On this week's pod, Wayne Shorter, one of the all-time great American composers and saxophonists, transitioned this past Thursday in Los Angeles. He was 89. We don't have words to express what Shorter's music has meant to us, so here are a few words from much smarter folks, including the master himself, as we mourn this loss and remember the life and work of Elder Shorter. All right. So as we get into a conversation about the life and music of Wayne Shorter, I just wanted to say up front that um, this is a really heavy subject for at least for me to talk about, I think probably for all of us to talk about. There's a lot to potentially cover or not cover um, in a career and in a life that is was so vast and that has touched so many people in so many different ways. So I want to just say up front that that we're going to mostly focus on kind of our experiences with uh, Wayne Shorter's philosophy and words and music, um, highlighting some some of the things we've read about him or that he's written or that people have written about him and and the the recordings that he's made that that have been important to us, um, and we highly you know, recommend that you check out the newsletter and all the links that we've posted in the newsletter. Um, there's a lot to read there. I think it, it could take you like a couple weeks, even just reading all of the things that, that we've kind of linked in the newsletter. So a lot of things to check out and consider. And for us to just kind of like read through all of that stuff, or even give you like um, a synopsis of what any of those things are, I think is, would be maybe a weird thing to listen to. And also... <laughs> would not do any of that stuff justice, I don't think. So so we're going to, this is going to be a pretty casual kind of freewheeling discussion um, of what comes to mind as we, you know, as we look at some of these, um, some of these resources uh, or, or different kind of um, uh, elements of, of Wayne Shorter's life. So I just wanted to kind of say that up front. I don't know if any of that made any sense, but. but um, it did. Uh, yeah, I mean, Wayne Shorter of us. Wayne Shorter, yeah. Um, so uh, we can kind of start there. There are a bunch of the first thing that we kind of pulled together a little bit in the newsletter this week were interviews that that Wayne Shorter has done with with a bunch of different people. Um, I'll maybe kind of start talking about this. I, I was listening to the um, there's this kind of Blue Notes first look video. Um, and there's there was also this uh, interview that I found on Apple Music that was done. Um, I don't have it pulled up right now, but it was done with like a radio, some radio interviewer in uh, on the West Coast, uh, just talking about a couple new things that that Shorter was doing at the time and, and around the time that the uh, uh, foot. Footprints live album was coming out. It was just like such an interesting interview. <laughs> the interviewer <laughs> was like a a real dork, and like just didn't really seem to un to know much about Wayne Shorter, which was kind of like a bummer. But but no. like I was really struck by how like chill Shorter was, like how like how easygoing he was, even though the person was asking like kind of dumb questions. 
about like what it's what is it like like playing with an electric like ensemble versus like the acoustic ensemble you're doing now and like do you feel like they can't hear you if your band's not electric or something it was just like very strange but um but he 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 was kind of talking about this quote in that interview and on the blue note interview and in a bunch of these like the interview with joe lovano the NPR interview, the Ethan Iverson interview, a, a lot of these things, he brought up this idea of like, how can you rehearse the unknown? Um, yeah. You know, he was asked like, you know, do you practice? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't really practice. And he's like, would well, you like look over the music and stuff? And he's like, well, I like write a lot of the music. So I'm like looking at it that way and like working <laughs> on it and, and all that kind of stuff. But he's like, I don't really practice. Like, how do you how do you rehearse the unknown? This is the quote that we pulled um, from. This is from. I forget which is which the which is this, is this from the. Um, it's from the NPR one, I believe. NPR, all, all things, things considered. considered. Yeah, interview. He said, "This music, it's dealing with the unexpected. No one really knows how to deal with the unexpected. How do you rehearse the unknown?" I love that. Yeah. I yeah. love that so much of his philosophy just directly applies to life. That's Do you know what I mean? Spoke. That's Apparently that's how he spoke, just like in these, I mean, it's similar to the way Miles spoke in the sense of like always giving you these riddles. I think it's like, amazing. You know, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And it may, or maybe you get it like 17 years later, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's what that meant. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a good time for me to I, um, to bring up the, so the time that I met him. So uh, when I was in undergrad at Lawrence University in Wisconsin, uh, he and uh, his the Footprints Live kind of quartet came. So that's like Danilo Perez, uh, John Patitucci, and Brian Blade. Like that quartet came um, to Lawrence as part of like the jazz series, and um, that whole semester in in preparation for them being there all of like the small groups like all the combo ensembles we were all learning wayne shorter music like that whole mm -hmm. that whole semester or that whole half of the semester or whatever it was leading up to that um and we were just we're getting like all very pumped up for this uh for this gig and it was interesting because i mean that album like the music that they were doing uh and he talks about it in some of these interviews like the it, and 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 this quote, it's like they were, it was not rehearsed. It was a lot of like spontaneous stuff. It was like, it was what probably a lot of people would think was kind of like free or avant-garde sort of like playing. Um, There's a lot of like kind of ensemble group uh, improvisation happening and, and all that. And it was just very different than like sitting down and learning like footprints or sitting down and like learning any, yeah. any of like the, what are now the jazz standards that you know Wayne Shorter wrote? So that was like a very different experience, and and like notably, like the audience in in kind of like middle of Wisconsin, um, <laughs> they were like kind of confused and stuff. They're like, "Oh, Wayne Shorter, like he played with Miles Davis, he played in Weather Report or whatever that they, like they." I think a lot of people had a certain idea of what that concert was going to be. Mm, and yeah, it was really not that, and so like there was a lot of interesting kind of like there were a lot of interesting vibes that were not necessarily like positive there's like a lot of just vibes of like not really understanding what was going on not so much from the students but more so from kind of local people or other faculty that didn't know that much about jazz or whatever that was um yeah 
But it, but it was an amazing concert for me. It was very exciting. I mean, as we've talked about before on the podcast, like what I really love about jazz is the, is improvising and and kind of being in the moment and all of that kind of stuff. Like that's what really got me excited about jazz. And so to me, it was like it was so cool that they were, um, you know, like how 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 interactive the whole thing was and like how kind of like crazy the whole thing was. It just was. It just had a lot of. Um, it was just full of energy and it was just like very vital sounding. It was like, I was just, I was like so excited. And obviously each of those players are, are masters on their instrument and musically and all that kind of stuff. It's like very sensitive. Like it's like Brian blade is yeah. playing like, so he's like so on it, but he's like playing so quiet. It's like, he's just yeah. barely touching the drums, but it's just like so locked in. Um, Cause you have to listen so intently yeah, I don't really want to say deeper because hopefully listening is happening no matter the type of music. But it seems like with this unexpected thing, like you really have to be keyed in to the people that are around you. Yeah, for it to work. And just like really, yeah. you know, like someone goes left, you go left or, you know, yeah, yeah. You go with them, you go yeah. apart. It, um, it's Oh, sorry. No, go go ahead. No, I have a similar story though. But are you done with your story, Charlie? No, I'm not done with that story. That's you actually do. not the most exciting part of the story. So the most exciting <laughs> part, Yay. that was all just the that was all just kind of you know, the prologue or whatever. So, um, so after the concert, we're in like the backstage area, and it's like me and all my dorky friends that have been like playing all of this Wayne Shorter music like for the for the semester and. Um, and we kind of have our chance to kind of go up to him. I probably still have that signed program somewhere like in a folder or something. Cause I got all of them to sign it and stuff. I was like very proud and excited, but we went up to them and, and my friend, um, Jacob Tykro, who's a great saxoph saxophonist and he lives in Brooklyn right now and he's really cool. Um, and he like, he like went up to, to Mr. Shorter and he was like, Mr. Shorter, like we're playing a bunch of your songs in our combo like you know like basically what should what should we do what should we do with these songs like what do you do you have any advice and and like speaking of riddles this is why <laughs> this is all coming oh my together. god i can't wait this is why this is why that made me uh, it was like it feels like now's the time to, to tell the story it's like what you know what should we do with your song like what's your advice and he said uh he said like these couple words it's like eight words or something he was like flip it turn it fuck it flip it and then that, and then he was just done like then he was just like then he kind of like turned away from the group of us and was like started talking to someone else and we're like okay wow <laughs> sit with Sounds that one uh, yeah um but it was like oh yeah okay i mean i yeah that makes sense actually it doesn't seem like it makes any sense it just seems like complete like nonsense or something it was like okay cool but there like what i took i think i think with any sort of thing like that you can kind of take whatever you want to take from it in a way like this is open to a lot of interpretations but um but like for me it was just kind of like uh what i got at that point and that's kind of stuck with me is that this idea that like from the person who wrote this thing that that so many people um experience or see as something like sacred that the person who created this thing was saying like yeah this is the whole idea of this thing is to kind of like mess with it and like turn it on its head and like explode it and like put pieces back together and just like there was a sense of um 
to honor it, it was like to honor the music or something like his, to honor his songs that he had written, these compositions was like to basically just like blow them up and use them to be creative or, or to like make something new, yeah. like Picasso it together into like a new <laughs> thing. And, um, and every time I hear people talk about like standards in a way that it's like, oh no, you can't change that. Like you can't move mm -hmm. that thing around or whatever that thing is. It's like, I, I think that that's a take. I don't, I don't think that that's, I mean, I don't know. I, I heard someone else tell me the kind of opposite of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so anyways, it was really cool. We all like were, we all were like shocked mostly cause he swore and it's just like, this, <laughs> I mean, by then he was already quite, quite old, you know? So it was like, and like just the elder statesman and, uh, and we just were like, oh, my God, we're going to be talking about that, like, for the rest of our lives. It's just like, Aww. that was so crazy. Um, so we were always kind of, like, shuffled away and, like, we're, like, very excited. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my story. What's your story, Alexandria? I have, Tell us. I have a very similar story. So, but it's, like, years later, like, maybe, like, 2014, 2015. I saw them in Houston. I went with my father. Big mistake. I feel like I've said this story <laughs> on this very podcast. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Um, I don't remember. Um, what I remember the most is that my father fell asleep. Oh, we were my. in the middle. Like we were in really good seats, like orchestra, like dead center. Like I was keyed in on Brian Blade the whole time. That concert. Anyways, I'll get back to that. But. My dad is snoring so incredibly loudly <laughs> during, <laughs> during this concert. And I'm like, Father, please um, wake up. Like, this is way shorter. Like, I don't think you understand. And he's like, I don't understand this. And um, I don't think it took me. I don't think I appreciated it at that time either. I appreciated it in the sense that I knew that the quartet or like the trio was a product of Wayne. And I knew that I needed to study with those people, whoever it was like Brian, if you, anybody asked me like who I admire or who I looked up to the most for like musicianship. And it's like, Brian Blade is my number one answer at all times. I saw that concert and I was like, I got to do music the rest of my life. If, if it means that I get to play with him. Um, and, uh, so and then later I got to study with like Patitucci and Danilo and really get to experience like Wayne and all his Wayneisms through them, which I think is I think Wayne was very intentional with who he mentored. Mm -hmm. Anyways, back to this concert changed my trajectory and like how I viewed what music could sound like at such a young age. I think I was maybe like 14. I don't know how old I was. 15. Yeah, um, I was I was the the age of the year so <laughs> around there yeah and uh i don't know um i did not know what they were doing at the time and to then study with danilo and 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 john to figure out like what they're doing is like this idea of improvisation which is like you are improvising but it's not it's not like what people typically think is avant-garde or free music like this sometimes has a groove there's an obvious direction like you can follow it um but it's all like first you are a composer but you're mm -hmm. as you're composing you're also improvising which i think wayne was huge about um yeah there's some i don't know 
there's so many stories that both of those guys can tell you about how they got music that night and they're like we're not playing this or mm. like with the new opera like wayne gave them pretty they had to fill in the blanks like there'll be like a chord and then there'll be like no chords for like 100 bars and then wayne would put another chord and he'd be like yeah wow. danilo you know what to do it was that kind of trust that they had with one another like they would I don't know that that was like just a band that that fully revolved around Wayne and his philosophy surrounding improvisation, composition, brotherhood for them, um, spirituality, mm-hmm. all of those things just like came into play um, when they were doing um, when they were touring. So I don't know. That's that's I feel like what. I don't I don't know. I can't find the words right now. But yeah, my dad you fell found, asleep during you found Wayne's some order. Words. And I feel like <laughs> it's hilarious. a full circle moment to getting to study like Danilo and Patitucci and understanding more of what that was like. And perhaps tell my dad, hey Pops, like you fell asleep during some pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. think that type of trust is really um makes me kind of like stop in my tracks a bit yeah to put one chord and then there's a (laughs) hundred measures it's like but that's such trust in who they are as musicians and people like to me that's like kind of the ultimate i I don't know it's sort of the ultimate music to me because it's and it's not trust unknown it's literally the right like well that opera is like centered around like Esperanza can kind of go anywhere and Danilo's going to be right there with her that's so cool insane but yeah it's that type of like he's like why am I going to give you something if you're not going to like how can we rehearse you doing that exact same thing over and over again and that's not going to happen over and over again so this and Danilo also has this insane ear that can just go anywhere but it's interesting because they obviously have so much skill set but then the application is so like open-minded, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not focused on like the focus is elsewhere because the skill set is so incredible. It's sort of like they're able to let it go. And and then it sort of I don't know, it that it's that's like pretty heavy to me because that's I don't like using your skill set to the greatest potential, it seems. Yeah to me i feel like whoever he like i think he like i said before he was so intentional with who he mentored because he knew that he could get that out of them yeah you know what i mean yeah to tap into that they, they they see that you have this great capacity to do this wayne thing not even a wayne thing but your same wave wayne wave <laughs> wave as him in terms of like spirituality philosophy you know this that in the third and then he's just able to elevate it mm-hmm, in a way that I don't know how he got it out of people. It's, it strikes me a little bit too, just in talking about this, that like how many different generations of musicians or people um, kind of have like their brain shorter ensemble that like got them like super excited <laughs> about stuff, <laughs> um, about maybe a bunch of different kinds of stuff. But um as we were kind of going through some of the like thinking about 
essential albums or like kind of the retrospective of of some of like the recorded work in those groups it's just like man it starts to get it it just is really heavy um and probably every generation kind of had this some version of this you know um a kind of nerdy thing that i pulled from this ethan iverson quote which i or this ethan iverson interview with wayne shorter is um this thing where like where uh shorter is talking about how you shouldn't pat your foot like you shouldn't tap your foot with the rhythm when you're playing and stuff and I, I actually heard some of that stuff before and i've i've thought about practicing that way like i've tried to practice i'm like a i'm an aggressive i think partly it was like because i played <laughs> drum set in high school a lot like and so like there's just like I, my when i first started playing drum set in like rock bands in high school my friend who's a great drummer was like I was like, how should I, what should I practice? And he was like, just like do a bunch of gnarly like bass drum stuff. Just like work on doing a lot of being like over. <laughs> so you can get like really strong and like fast there and stuff. And I was like, okay. So I practiced that. And so like now when I'm playing keyboard or doing whatever, it's like my right foot is just <laughs> like always so active. I can't even like not do, if I'm standing and singing, my right foot's like all over the place. It just, you know, just like hopefully on the beat most of the time, but I've heard other people say like you shouldn't do it, but can I read a little bit of what he said about this? Yes, absolutely. So um, apparently he heard, he heard this from like Dizzy Gillespie, the Charlie Parker era of people. But anyways, so Wayne Shorter says, yeah, don't pat your foot. You're patting your foot keeps you in a certain era, the swing era. It gets in the way of your imagination. Don't move really when you play. The movement is interrupting your imagination and you're actually continuing something that a metronome does and it continues what you call music lessons. You're just playing your music lessons in variations and then you laugh. Oh my gosh. He said, wow. I a, he said, I have a tape of Charlie Parker giving a music lesson and the student's about 16 years old and he asked Charlie, Mr. Parker, do you mean I have to memorize all these scales, every one? And Charlie, the first time I ever heard his voice, he says, yes, you do. But after you memorize them, forget them. And they start that. So that was kind of oh, that was kind of two separate things. But there was like the patting your foot thing, and then like the um, this like learning the scales and then memorizing stuff. I mean, it kind of goes along with like the not practicing thing. It's like if you feel like you're playing music for people and you're still like in a lesson or you're still like in a class or something, you're kind of like screwed. <laughs> well, and it like it really inspires internalization. Like you have to know it. You have to know it front and back. So that you believe what you're saying. You know what I mean? He used to, I think before they went out on stage, he used to say, let's go out there and play like we don't know how to play. Hmm. Like, let's go out there and play and act like we've never played this before. We've never touched our instrument before. That's another thing he, he like, he had this, like, people call it like childlike wonder. And I think that's also maybe in something later we're going to say. But yeah, they used to say he used to get really excited to like go get an ice cream. Yeah. I love I'm that. Just, he used to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have ice cream. And just to have that same <sighs> thing with like, oh my gosh, this is a saxophone. How do I, if I move my finger like this way, how do I get this sound? You know, just always approaching music with that. Like, oh yeah, I need to play music. Cool. What is this thing? How can I like yeah. do this thing? Wow. Yeah. I like along the same lines. It seems like he was like quite a dork. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Like the in this same interview, he talks about like really being super stoked about like um, sci-fi novels and like 
he's asked about all these like different movies and stuff and he's like oh yeah no we i just saw the new captain america or whatever i haven't seen the new thing it wasn't like he was like above sort of like other sorts of um other sorts of like pop culture things or or like i don't know just like dorky things like he ta- he has this whole section where he talks about like star trek and i'm like <laughs> i love God, that. I didn't know this energy with him and it makes me I uh, just love him that much more as like a as a fellow dork about all that kind of stuff. I was like, damn, I didn't know we were I didn't know we were in the same club so much. Yes. Um great. So I, I encourage you to check out some of these other interviews. There's a lot and there's a lot of other things too, but these are just some maybe some places to start. There's also been in the last week, there's been obviously at a time like this, there's a number of articles uh remembering the life and, and time of of uh, Wayne Shorter. So our second A is Wayne Shorter, the soothsayer. There's a really great article from uh, Nate Chinnon on his Substack, The Gig, remembering a master composer whose heart always belonged to the band. That reminds me a little bit of what you were just talking about, Alexandria, about kind of cultivating these ensembles and choosing people to to mentor. can I read an, a quote from this? Uh, yes, of course. Article. Please. So, this is in the this is the newsletter. Uh, Nate Chinnon writes: uh, shoulder, shorter, shorter, shouldered. <laughs> this starts oh off with a poster. Shorter, shouldered, a handful of terrific epitaphs in his eventful lifetime. Mister Weird, Mister Gone, the New York, the Newark Flash. In this century, his name often came hitched to a less pithy but more momentous phrase, jazz's greatest living composer. He was familiar with this accolade, taking pains to consider it only from a safe distance, like a radioactive core. A decade ago, when uh, Chinon spent an afternoon with him in preparation for a profile for the Times, the maestro answered a question about his own stature with typical deflection. We have to beware of the trapdoors of the self. Mm. There's a lot here, but wow, um, I like that trapdoors. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of big words in that uh, paragraph, and I think I did okay. But in case I mispronounced <laughs> something, let me know. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> um, shorter shouldered. Shorter shouldered. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the uh, this jazz's greatest living composer. Like, um, I, I'm wondering, you know, if I I was thinking about this, and like for me, really, like there may I haven't thought too much about it, but you know, there for me personally, there might be kind of like a top three, top five, or something, mm-hmm. like greatest jazz composers. I think he he and Monk feel quite similar to me. In how, uh, in like how, uh, like the clarity or something of their, like a, there are a lot of like there are a lot of great jazz compositions out there, but like I think like the clarity of like a lot of their songs where it's like melody and harmony, it's like a thing, and it's like it has like a defined form and it's like has a concept, and a little bit different than the Ellington thing because the Ellington thing is like so connected to the orchestration of a big band or something like that, you know, like, yeah. Um, like for, you know, for small ensemble stuff, 
um, in terms of like songs that have that singers have written lyrics to, you know, they're like, and, and just like the body of work that's also killing. It's kind of hard. Like you think about other people too that are maybe around this era, like like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or um, Sonny Rollins or you know some some other folks, and it's just kind of like it's obviously all that music is great but it kind of doesn't seem to hit the same heights or have as kind of have be as kind of a thick of a book as as that's that's so interesting that you brought up duke ellington because um i had reached out to marcus strickland because when i was in his class he talked about making um tunes by wayne shorter etc more central to like what we consider jazz standards like he even brought up the term great american songbook so today i asked him if he would like write a quote which i wanted to read but he brought up duke after that and he was saying how some people might argue that it's duke ellington but he his perspective i'll I'll read his words because i don't want to misspeak but he said many will argue duke is the guy rightfully so but wayne was far more developed in terms of like he's talking about in terms of the the essence of like the idiom. So what he said was um, the show tunes of the early 1900s were essential because of popularity and many were amazing tunes. However, Wayne Shorter is the main composer slash player of the mid 1900s who wrote in a way that reflected this young idiom's own harmonic and melodic essence. The music that the players write are the true standards. And this is why I feel he was the quintessential composer of this idiom. So that's Marcus Strickland, but you brought up Monk. I feel like Monk is up there as well. For sure. They both have like definitive voices and they write songs. Because then I was thinking about today, I listened to Speak No Evil in the car after kind of digesting what Marcus had said. And I really was just hearing tunes you know i don't know i don't maybe that sounds silly but they're just so there's not really much of a disconnect between like as much of a disconnect as i think people think there is between like a maybe a great american songbook and then a wayne shorter tune but like the wayne shorter stuff can teach us so many different things that are so important to jazz or the idiom yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, Wayne, uh, Wayne Short is like 80, 89, you know, like that, this, it's a crazy long career too, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know who am I for, am I forgetting anybody else that should be kind of like maybe up in that list or something that I, I personally think Mingus, but mm. that that's just my personal preference. <laughs> no i feel mingus yeah. the thing with mingus too is like it feels so connected to that to like those ensembles or something yeah but i guess like it's it's tricky um yeah i mean i, I the other thing i think too as a singer obviously that like that's how i interact with a lot of like that's how i you know in, interpret or interact with a lot of this music and it's like um if not for Joni singing Mingus stuff, though, I don't know that mm. that would, that would even be, you know. But I think that I think that's a part of it a little bit. Is like, oh yeah, mm. that 
but like the like a, a ton of people sing Wayne Shorter stuff either wordlessly or they write lyrics to it it's like it's an right. interesting kind of thing it's and, so singable yeah it is they're so singable <laughs> and the monk things most of the monk things are singable too you know yeah that's what's funny too about the Duke Ellington stuff. A lot of that stuff was so hard to sing. Oh my god! Um, there's but so much going on. It's almost like a different. It feels different to me. I don't know because I was thinking about like when I thought of Duke Ellington, I also like thought of uh, Billy Strayhorn. Like that to me is in like sort of the same wing. Not that they need to be in different wings or whatever, but it, it's interesting like how distinctive the the Wayne shorter tunes are. I think that they just come out of his school. Like they just come out of the Ellington school of like being a composer and being a off, but being a composer and also being very good at your instrument. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think I don't, I don't necessarily think that they're, they're composing the same way. Everyone has their own voice, but I think like, Ellington was kind of this guy who like kind of did it and it was like and then other people kind of followed suit mm -hmm. you know, to be a composer and like lead your own band at the same time and also be very much great at your instrument yeah um, they yeah. all need each other too like I was thinking about how, like how many people stand on Wayne's Wayne Shorter's shoulders speaking of his shoulders <laughs> before <laughs> Just like everything informs the other things, I yeah. think. <laughs> so. um, cool. So, uh, so some cool things to check out there. The um, also we posted a couple links to um, to s some uh, musicians like Herbie Hancock, Christian McBride, Marcus Strickland, uh, and their tributes to. Uh, shorter on Instagram. There's like a lot of stuff there. Um, next, next we have uh, an open letter to the next generation of artists. Um, this was written in 2016 uh, by Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter, kind of posted together. Obviously, there was a lot going on in 2016. I mean, there's always a lot going on, but there was like a lot of things politically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a real, there was kind of a real clear, there was like, the turning point that of some some stuff that happened in 2016 and and so um this this letter kind of comes out of out of that time and place and very much a, a place i think we're still living in and i i think like probably most of these things really haven't changed all that much but um there's some you know we talk about kind of Wayne Shorter, the mentor, Wayne Shorter, the, the elder statesman. Yeah. Um, this is a real kind of acknowledgement of that, which I think like a lot of times um, folks that were kind of in Shorter's generation or or maybe a little bit before him or something like seem to really kind of like bristle against this idea of being thought of as like an elder statesman. So much of their bag, it seems, was like, kind of being on the cutting edge of things and like we're doing new stuff no we're like setting the direction we're not you know like we're not old you know we're not <laughs> just here to help young folks or whatever that is um but but you know shorter really embraced this idea and i think even if he did kind of talk in riddles to a lot of us like we all were still <laughs> there are a lot of us that are really um incredibly impacted by by him and his work 
Um, I just wanted to read a quote from this. There's a lot of interesting, there's a lot of cool kind of quotes from here that, that we can pull. But um, the thing I pulled for the newsletter uh, was this. Um, as, we as we accumulate years, parts of our imagination tend to dull. Whether from sadness, prolonged struggle, or social conditioning, somewhere along the way, people forget how to tap into the inherent magic that exists within our minds. Don't let that part of your imagination fade away. All that exists is a product of someone's imagination. Treasure and nurture yours, and you'll always find yourself on the precipice of discovery. How does any of this lead lend to the creation of a peaceful society, you ask? It begins with a cause. Your causes create the effects that shape your future and the future of all those around you. Be the leaders in the movie of your life. You are the director, producer, and actor. Be bold and tirelessly compassionate as you dance through the voyage that is this lifetime. Damn. Woohoo! <laughs> so some stuff, so, so kind of a, a lot to unpack, even just in that, in those kind of like two paragraphs. For me, this idea that like, you know, that our imagination dulls over time, it's like, a, yeah, of course that happens. You know, I think to yeah. most of us, if not all of us, like the sense of play we have when we're little kids. I think about this idea all the time where it's like when you're a little kid, you draw and you feel like you can draw. And it's like <laughs> someone, someone in the room might be better at drawing something in particular than you, but like you, you, you feel like you can draw, like you feel like an artist, at least that was my experience. And then somewhere along the lines, like something kind of clicks and someone says either like, oh, you're not that good at that or, or something, or you, you, you stop imagining what could happen because you learn like what should happen or, mm. you know, whatever that is. So I, I don't know. I, I think about that actually quite often, this idea of like, I used to be able to just kind of sit in the grass and like stare up at the sky or something and just like imagine crazy stuff. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I've been there. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Quite rarely. Do um, it, Charlie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I. That's my assignment this week. Yeah. No, I feel that. It's hard because everything, I think everything wants, everything around us wants us not to be like that. Once you pass a certain, I don't know what the age is, but I've definitely this year, especially have felt like loss of childhood, yeah. but You've it's making me about it a lot. <laughs> well, also I spend a ton of time with kids <laughs> because I'm a nanny, but I, it's like encouraging me to try to like salvage a lot of those qualities or whatever, or just do my best because I it is interesting as a kid it's like inherent like you don't like you're saying you are you are an artist and like you are all of these things because not a lot of it has been like whatever yeah. like messed up for you <laughs> but I feel like it inspires me to try I don't know and then people like Wayne Shorter are also incredibly inspiring because he seems to hone a lot of that like what you were talking about with the way that he see or thinks about playing in a childlike way like what happens if i move my finger like this who's thinking like that <laughs> more of like i want to think like that yeah. more same i don't know I've, I've been recently just um especially like with teaching i've been whenever someone doesn't know anything i've been trying this new tactic where i just like am like i get so visibly excited you know because some people whenever 
you are met with not knowing something or feel uncomfortable or like, and when, when children, when we're a, ch- a child, we're like monkey bars. I don't know how to do that. I'm going to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to fall and I'm break my arm and I'm going to have my cast and I'm going to have all my friends sign it. You know, it's like excitement <laughs> to have a neon pink cast. And nowadays we're like, oh, everyone's looking at me. Like, I don't know if I can try this new thing or I have to do, I have to do it right so that people aren't going to judge me. And I, f- I figured if we s- stop creating this narrative around it and just be like, oh yeah, I'm so excited to follow my face. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. I think it, it can help maintain that wonder, maintain that want to discover whatever it may be that maintain that like, oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. I don't know. Like, let's just try. I don't know. I love that. You know, so now every time someone doesn't know something, they're like, oh, here she goes again, bouncing up and down, clapping her hands. (laughs) I love that. I feel like I've been trying to hone that. I have been always saying, I don't know anything. If I make a mistake or if I don't make a mistake, just because I feel like it sort of, it's weird because I don't mean that obviously, but it sort of allows me to like just experience what is rather than have all these opinions or value mm-hmm. judgments about them. Like I've, I felt more even after saying that to myself, like if I make a mistake, I'm like, well, I don't know anything. I'm just here, you know, or if I do something well, I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm just here. Yeah. It's, it's like freeing. Yeah. Actually, I've been thinking the same way, but it's honestly because of Charlie. Charlie! <laughs> Hey, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I think like the we have we're we have such a desire to know, you know. Mm, like, yeah. But yeah, knowing is this very it's this very final, it's this very it's like hardened sort of like sort of permanent kind of state, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think the more you the more I experienced life, the the less I felt like I knew anything. I mean, you'll hear people say that all the time. Like, if someone thinks they know something, they have they like. If you want a smart, if you want to like, guess who the smart person is the in the room? They're the person that like acts like they don't know like what they're talking about, you know, or admits like mm-hmm. how how little they know about the thing. So uh, interesting. Be bold and tirelessly compassionate as you dance through the voyage that is this lifetime. Yes. Um, a lot of great stuff in this in this uh, letter. He says, we are not alone. We do not exist alone and we cannot create alone. What this world needs now is a humanistic awakening of the desire to raise one's life condition to a place where our actions are rooted in altruism and compassion. I mean, that's the other thing he's talking about in, in this first quote, you know, is like to have a cause, you know, to have to have a reason why you're doing something. I mean, we, we talk about that all the time. I talk about that with people all the time, which I feel like is annoying. Anytime I'm in a meeting and I'm, no. like, I'm like, can we, it would be really interesting if we just paused for a second, instead of talking about like how or what we're going to, like what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Can we just like maybe consider why like we want to do this in the first place? Um, and like, maybe that will answer some of these other kind of questions, but. It like, does. I think. If you have a cause, I think you're right. Yeah. And it has to be greater. It has to be something that's that's feels too big to encapsulate fully. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Wayne said apparently his parting words, not apparently, but this parting I don't um wrong word. <laughs> he said 
this is something that I always say is like continue the mission. Mm-hmm. Like he hopes to continue the mission. So there's always something of like we're like just there's obviously something that's working. So continue mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about if folks if folks maybe haven't listened to Wayne Shorter's music before, they got really far in this podcast with us talking <laughs> about Wayne Shorter having never heard any of his music. <laughs> like, let's just imagine that could happen. Um, or if I mean, even like us, I think like, um, you know, we we had heard a lot of the stuff before, but maybe we haven't listened to it for a while. Or yeah, can, in these moments, I mean, it's kind of sidebar. Another thing I was I've been thinking these last couple of days is like, um, this whole thing of like these elder statement, elder states people in jazz you know, kind of moving on, transitioning to the next plane of existence. Um, it's been happening and it's going to be happening a lot yeah. more, you know, like short, Wayne Short is 89. You know, a lot of these, the folks that are left in this generation, you know, like that's, uh, we're kind of getting towards the end of the road here. I mean, we, you know, lost Chick Corea. Uh, yeah. Was that almost two years ago now? It's yeah. kind of crazy. Wait, really? <gasps> like it's been that long? Yeah, like um and uh you know, I just saw a great interview with um with Keith Jarrett and it's like Keith Jarrett's done playing now after his stroke. You know, there's just like this um you know, I mean Herbie's still kicking it. I Herbie yeah. still looks like he's like 31 or something. I know. Ron, Ron looks good. Yeah. So, yeah. Ron looks good. So Ray Haynes is still with us. So we're, yeah, oh we're, hold, we're holding on. We're holding on. Yeah. But um, it is, it is interesting in these times that it feels like there's been more and more of where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I want to honor that person and, and, you know, go listen to their, their music and listen to their work and like, and reflect and meditate on, on all this. But, um, but anyways, the point is if you haven't ever listened to, to Wayne Shorter before, or just little snippets of it, or if you kind of want some suggestions of like how to get back into the shorter verse, the <laughs> oh my gosh, um, we have some we have some uh, suggestions. The first the first thing on our list, uh, Amy, you mentioned this a second ago, but speak no evil, mm-hmm. uh, recorded for Blue Note in 1964. This was when when uh, he started his work with the Miles Davis kind of second great quintet. Um, this is, this is my kind of personal favorite Wayne Shorter, like solo thing. They're all kind of great. And there's like a ton of, there's like, I don't know, four or five or something albums that came out within like two or three years during this like period with blue note. They're all great. They all have kind of similar bands, but, um, but I love this album uh, just like compositionally and, in like kind of every sort of way, um, like Witch Hunt, Fee Fi Fo Fum, Dance Cadaverous, Speak No Evil, the title track. I mean, the playing on it is just like, is just awesome. And it's- It uh, so is. And this is like Freddie Hubbard, Herbie, right? Yeah, uh, Ron. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I dig it. Um, the And do you have anything you guys want to say about that album or I'll just keep kind of trucking along? Well, I listened to it today. That's all I was going to say. And I just, again, felt like they were such succinct tunes. Yeah. I was so into the listening. 
Um, the next album on the list is uh, Nefertiti. This is the Wayne Shorter album. Um, Nefertiti is the crazy tune where like the where the horns just keep playing the melody like over and over mm, and over yeah. again, and uh, and really the rhythm section like improvises underneath them. Yeah. So it's such a it's such a cool concept and. Um, it's so killing, and that's that that's composed by shorter. So I mean, like this this is um, this is such like a a Miles Davis thing. But it's like I I think like he doesn't he didn't write any of the tunes on this album. It's just like yeah. all either. I think it's mostly Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock tunes on this album, but mm. but it's really great. Um, the next one is uh, Heavy Weather by by Weather Report. There there are artsier like Weather Report albums <laughs> that are like that have some different kinds of things going on. But like, I feel like this is the one that probably people know mostly because of the tune Birdland, yeah. uh, but also Jocko Pastorius is playing bass on this album. And so it's just like a different, it's like kind of a different time. The, the, like all, like all about, or um, the article that I was reading about this, this album was kind of talking about how like, Basically, it was like the the end of this, like the wave of jazz fusion, like jazz rock fusion or something like that. And it kind of like people were kind of getting over it. And then this album came out and everyone's like, no, we're back into it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> thought we were out, but like we're ready to rock. Um, wow. So that's a cool album. And then uh, I think I, I've never said it out loud, but Eminon, which is just no name backwards, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so dope. Uh, this, I love putting things backwards. <laughs> it feels I love like that. a very like it feels like an almost kind of like alien name or something. Like speaking of Star Trek, it feels like a Star Literally, Trek name yeah. or something. And it's like, nope, it's just no name. It's just no so name. Backwards. Sick. Um but this is one of uh Shorter's last records. Um you know, last release records. This is twenty eighteen, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, twenty eighteen. And this is with the the quartet that we've kind of been talking so much about with Danilo Perez, John Patitucci and Brian blade, uh, a lot going on there too, though, like orchestrated stuff, like synthy stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it was, it's played with like, I think the London, London orchestra or something. Yeah. 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 Um, just kind of like, it's, I didn't know, but it was like a company, like there's a graphic novel to it as well. Yeah, I read that too. I I haven't seen the graphic novel because that's like, seems, I don't know. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't. I haven't seen it. But, um, but yeah, very very cool and heavy. And then if that wasn't enough, we gave kind of like four more fives. <laughs> so other things just to mention briefly, uh, something more by Buster Williams, which is yeah. from 1989, which is like kind of in between a lot of these other things. Uh, Night Dreamer, which is another one of the Blue Note kind of uh, um, solo albums from that from the '60s. I love that album. I think that's the first one, actually. I think that's like the first Blue Note. Yeah. What's cool about I love that song. That's the song Night Dreamer. I know backwards and forwards because of the Kurt, Kurt Elling because of the ah! Kurt Elling vocalese on that tune. Um, so I learned like every you know I don't know I learned every. <laughs> every note on that from that wow. recording. So I hear that and I'm just like, that's such a thing. Um, but there's also from that same 
from that same year, I guess, is uh, Free For All the Art with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. That album is a little different than some of the other Art Blakey stuff. It's definitely like more kind of abstract and stuff. And then the last one is Footprints Live, which was like really instrumental for me um, as a musician. Like I said, that album had like just come out when when they came to when they came to campus. So that's 2002. So I was, I was um, like a sophomore or something. And I think maybe that they came to school like the next year when I was like a junior, just to, just wow. to fully, uh, you know, s- center myself in time for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so lots of, early. lots of things to check out. <laughs> I mean, uh, like I said before, what did I miss something? <laughs> Alexandria was just being a little facetious over here. Uh, and then our extra credit, I'll say, was uh, was one of the couple. Uh, um, Esperanza Spalding did a kind of couple post on her Instagram account, uh, um, kind of remembering Wayne Shorter. And uh, one of the things she she put on there was a quote from him, which comes from. Um, comes from like an Associated Press article or something like that. Uh, I think this is talking about the, this had to do with something, I think maybe as part of the the opera, but the, the last Wayne Schroeder quote we're going to read tonight is, when you go on stage, you have to put away all your Grammys, go out there in your pajamas and tell a story. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> the best. The, um, best. the pajamas part is the best. Is arguably the best part. Jamas. <laughs> yeah. 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 Get the ice cream. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's our very kind of very personal, very flawed kind of remembering of Wayne Shorter. I don't know that we're nec- like, none of us are musicologists. You know, like, I don't know that we're the, none of us are critics or anything. I don't know that we're necessarily the right person to do something, right people to do something like this, but. I think we, I think we all felt like this was. Um, we wanted to like give this space to someone who has meant a lot to us and meant a lot to other people in our uh, other people in our lives. Um, yeah, so we hope that we hope that that was that conversation was like thought provoking for you. I don't, I don't know. Are there any kind of final thoughts, Alexandria, Amy? I have continue the mission like <laughs> ringing in my brain right now. So that's that's my final words for today. I'm speechless. I don't know. How do you rehearse the unknown? This is the unknown. We're we're here. This we're is thank us. you, Wayne. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Wayne. For real. Um, okay, Amy, do you want to read us out? I'd love to. Thank you, everyone, for listening and for supporting for music um remember to like and subscribe and just a note that if you leave us a review on apple Podcasts, it helps us out a lot and we would love to highlight you for more follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at 4a music subscribe to our newsletter at 4a music.substack.com and check out our website at 4a music.com and order yourself some merch Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. On behalf of everybody, we think you're super. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.